and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 47, where today I'm joined by Stephen Merkovich, who is the owner and chief relational officer at Planted Expo. Now, Planted Expo is a trade show, platform, and network to connect Canadians to local vegan and plant-based businesses offering new, innovative, and inspiring products, services, and practices. I recommend that you head on to their website at plantedlife.com, or you could also head on down to the show notes and click on the link. It's a great educational resource as they offer online courses like Foundations, which is a 30-day to a plant-based life presented by Stephen himself. You've got a prevent and reverse chronic disease with a plant-based diet presented by Dr. Matthew Nagra and Body Balance, which is a hormone reset course presented by Jordan Bruce. Now, during today's episode, Stephen gives us the inside scoop on the two trade shows coming up, the dates of which are November 20 and 21 here in Vancouver and March 26 and 27 next year, so 2022 in Toronto. I really enjoyed this conversation with Stephen. He's an absolute wealth of knowledge in the plant-based world and an advocate for education and conversation, which I love too. But before we get started, I would love to just give a few moments to our show sponsors. Foodpack is a Vancouver-based company headquartered in Richmond, BC, and having been in business for well over 50 years, it's fair to say that we've got the experience, knowledge, and capability required to ensure that you end up with the right flexible package for your business. We specialize in three specific areas at Foodpack, one of which is stock bags, which you could think of as a turnkey solution, custom printed bags, which is actually my favorite part of the business and what I think I do best, and our packaging equipment, like Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, Plexpack band sealers, and repack tray sealers and thermoformers. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time or would like to assess your existing packaging and equipment options, I recommend that you get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at foodpack.ca or by calling me on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. If you're like me and come from or you're currently deeply embedded in the hospitality industry, I'm sure that you'll agree that the best restaurants and cafes to work in are the ones that have systems and processes in place as they create order in what would otherwise be complete chaos. So with this in mind, it makes total sense to apply systems and processes to your own life too. And I can attest to the fact that it has helped me immensely as I navigate my busy life between my career, family life, a position on the board of my strata and this podcast. It's a lot, but I manage it all because of the structure. And if you're looking to apply structure to your life too and work with a coach who will help you navigate your busy life, I recommend that you contact Brad Bodnachuk for a free 45-minute strategy session by visiting the link in the show notes. Futurepreneur Canada is the only national non-profit organization that supports young entrepreneurs aged 18 to 39 with up to $60,000 in financing, an expert business mentor for up to two years and resources to help you plan, manage and grow your business. I actually interviewed Mina Hagigi from Futurepreneur on episode 31 and I recommend that you go back through the catalog and have a listen because Mina outlines with some detail the program options and webinar series that they have on offer at Futurepreneur. Uh, One that I'd like to point out is their three-part workshop series called Rock My Business Idea, 
plan and cash flow. And I think this is a really good program for you if obviously you've got a business idea and you want to turn it into reality and all of the work that you need to do to actually turn it into something tangible. If you'd like to learn more about the programs at Futurepreneur, head on down to the show notes and click on their link. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hayden, thanks for having me. So glad to be here. <laughs> me too, mate. Um, you and I met at the Good to Grow conference a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, just before we went online just then, I wish that I had have had the opportunity to see you speak, but I had to get back to the office. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I was glad to be a part of the event. Uh, Andrea is, you know, worth her weight uh, in gold, really, in yeah. many respects. Um, you know, when you, when you have a, a private conversation with her, you realize how long she's been in the industry. Yeah. You know how she knows the ins and outs of it. And it showed. It showed at the trade show. It showed at the conference the day before. Um, and it was my privilege to be a part of it and for Planted Life and, at the, and our expo to be a part of it, to be sponsors, to be at the event, to see so many great companies um, and to see the plant-based, plant-forward movement playing such a prominent role in an event that's not... Uh, exclusively plant-based yeah so that was really really great to be a part of and i totally get not being able to be at every session we're busy people and sometimes we can make it to everything and other times we've got to bounce so yeah yeah glad glad to be connecting now yeah no i agree um yeah you're absolutely right mate it was a great trade show it was a real eye-opener for me um you know i guess through COVID, it's, uh, you know, like all of us, it's been really hard to get out in front of people and connect and shake hands and, you know, have those face-to-face conversations. I really enjoyed that, like getting in there and, you know, meeting people. And, um, you know, that was the value that I saw in it as well, but it was just really great to see small scale, you know, startup businesses getting out there and, you know, speaking so passionately about their businesses and, and the food products that they're putting out there. And obviously, you know, with you, you know, going to the extent of developing planted life in the business that, you know, you're operating right now, there are so many plant-based and vegan businesses out there. And, you know, we could call it an emerging market, but it's definitely not emerging. Like it's here and it's here to stay, but it's growing in the CPG world. And I thought what better person to have a conversation with than you. Yeah. Thank you, Hayden. I, I think you're right. Um, there is an element, an ongoing element of emergence, but uh, you know, I really think the conversation needs to be rooted in the fact that various forms of veganism, vegetarianism, and plant-based living have been around for an extremely long time from the get-go, right? And, and some some social, uh, sociologists and historians would argue that you know humankind was largely plant-based for the vast majority of our existence, you know, as Homo sapiens, but. Um, what we're seeing now is a bit of a fulcrum in sort of the modern era where uh, a number of overlapping domains are beginning to point in a specific direction. So if we were just talking about dietary preferences, I don't think the plant-based movement would be having the moment it's having where it has emerged from sort of a fringe dietary pattern um, that some people engage in for a variety of reasons to now being, you know, um, a specific position that many people are seeking after, even if they're not intending to be entirely plant-based and certainly wouldn't identify as vegan in terms of its sort of ethical position. Yeah. So I think that's just an important thing to note that we've arrived in 2021 and what you witnessed at Good to Grow and what we're all witnessing happen in the food system, you know, is a long, long time in the making. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
by the time this conversation goes to air, um, everybody would have listened to an episode that I had or a conversation that I had with Bruce Wallinger, who has come from the seaweed industry. And, uh, you know, Bruce is an amazing dude. He's been in the CPG industry for well over 25 years, you know, in um, particularly with Fin um, Seafood. Uh, but he has branched out into the um, into the seaweed industry. And uh, we had an amazing conversation around, you know, the potential of seaweed, not only for food security, you know, um, the um, rebuilding of our coastlines in terms of, you know, the sustainability aspect, but also the potential that it has for plastics or um, and taking over from petroleum-based plastics as well. But when we're talking about food, you know, um, something like seaweed, because of the opportunity that we have with such a huge coastline over here um, and also the intersection between, you know, plant-based meat alternatives and also vegan lifestyles as well. It's a great opportunity for that industry to really take off too. Yeah. Listen, the ocean is an interesting frontier. Um, I don't, certainly we don't want to sit here as an expert in, in our oceans or in seaweed, but from the little bit that I seem to have pieced together, you know, having, uh, read and listened and kind of done just, just some peripheral research. <clears throat> it appears as though seaweeds got the capacity to um, really play an important role in, as you mentioned, sort of a couple of different industries. Yeah. Uh, and and it's, it's like a huge carbon sink, right? There's a lot of vegetation in the ocean. Yeah, huge. And it just sequesters a lot of carbon. So yeah. in terms of its sustainability and its growth potential, um, and its ability to be a significant source in our food system mm -hmm. of nutritious food and innovative food. I mean, listen, um, Bruce is no better person to be speaking to. Yeah, no, I agree. It was an awesome conversation. I, uh, I urge everybody out there who hasn't potentially listened to that episode to go back and have a listen. It was an hour long conversation. I learned a lot from it and I really hope that you do too. Um, mate, where'd you grow up? You're a Vancouver based boy. Yeah, the vast majority of my life was here in the Lower Mainland, okay. Vancouver. That being said, I was born in Toronto, Ontario, right. and I, I do claim that as as uh, a profound part of my beginnings. Yeah, but yeah, raised raised mostly in Coquitlam, actually. Okay, just down the road. Yeah, yeah, just down the road. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I live in Vancouver now with my family and have okay. for the last several years. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, I, I know this place. I, I cheer for the Vancouver Canucks and, and all the BC sports teams. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely a West Coast kid. Very good. And mate, I yeah. see that you've uh, got an education in or a bachelor in religious studies and theology. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So for the vast majority of my professional life, I worked in church settings as yeah. a minister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so, so I, go yeah, ahead. I, I'd, no, I'd love to hear all about it because I mean, yeah. obviously you've come from sort of you've delved right into that sort of world, you know, the church world. And obviously that's a huge part of who you are as a person. And now you're sort of finding yourself working in the plant-based industry. And I thought, okay, I want to understand the intersection there. Like, is there an intersection or how did all of that come about? Yeah. So there's definitely an intersection um, and there are lots to unpack there. I think probably the easiest access point is or a couple of on-ramps to how I got to where I am today. Yeah. Uh, the first one really is um, the fact that I had a, I had an, a health crisis in my late teens and early, but basically through my twenties. Right. 
um, where I was a very active kid, grew up kind of in a Serbo-Croatian home, eating, you know, quite a rich diet. And I tell people all the time, I ate enough meat during the first 18, 19 years of my life to last me a lifetime. lifetime. <laughs> and, uh, but when I was 17 years old, I blew out my knee skateboarding and I went from like playing every sport imaginable and being very, very active to like, it was completely blown out. Like I had reconstructive knee surgery, two ligaments completely gone and my meniscus, like it required serious surgery. Wow. But, you know, back then you had to wait, you know, it was a, a elective in that sense that it wasn't an emergency and it took a while. And I kept eating this super rich diet. And before I knew it, I'd gained about 60 pounds. Wow. And, uh, and when it was all said and done, I probably gained, uh, you know, 80 or 90 pounds. And so my, my first uh, sort of move into plant-based living was because of my denominational heritage. So as a Christian, I grew up um, uh, from the age of 10 onwards as a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm -hmm. And if you've engaged in plant-based, the plant-based vegan world at all, you've, in the, from the health perspective, you know that uh, Seventh-day Adventists, particularly in Southern California, are one of the blue zones. Right. So if you've ever heard of the blue zones in Loma Linda, California, what they're talking about is Seventh-day Adventists. And so there's a rich history of vegetarian and vegan living okay. within North, North American Adventism. Now, that being said, I grew up in sort of an ethnic uh, variety of that where that wasn't as much of a value or, or a part of my faith tradition. But I knew of it because the churches that I was a part of, there were lots of vegetarian um, people and people that advocated for the health benefits of vegetarian living. And so when I gained all this weight and was really struggling and really kind of down and out, I said, hey, I, uh, don't, I, I think I belong to a faith community that knows a little something about living a healthy lifestyle. And so in 2001, at the age of 19, I became a vegetarian. And by 2003, I had branched out of sort of just looking at any of the sort of info that or intel I could get from my faith community. And I read a book by a fellow named Joel Furman who's a really well-known doctor on the East Coast. Um, and it was published by Little Brown. So it's like a reputable publisher, which was a big deal to me back then, like, cause I was still not sure of this whole uh, thing. And it was a, a book called Eat to Live. And uh, again, just kind of tackling plant-based living from a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And so that was when I kind of transitioned to veganism for health reasons. Like at this point, I wasn't an ethical vegan, mm. um, but my dietary patterns shifted entirely plant-based. Uh, and that was in order to regain my health. And it took me a while to figure it all out. But over the course of my adult lifetime, like you're looking at me now, yeah. um, and uh, I used to be 100 pounds heavier. Yeah. So just yeah. put that into perspective, you know, 40, 42 kilos I've lost. Yes. Um, so, uh, and in the midst of all of that, of course, I studied to be a pastor and to work in church settings and to work in that denominational setting. So I'm, I'm no longer uh, a Seventh-day Adventist. I, I no longer identify as part of that tribe. Um, I am still a Christian. I still, my, my wife's actually an ordained minister, as am I. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, but um, at any rate, um, a big part of my journey through all of that was sort of recognizing the convening power of food and as the plant-based living continued to kind of change me from the inside out, like literally change me from the inside out, all of the other puzzle pieces that we were just referencing like 10 minutes ago in the conversation, yeah. like this convergence, you know, the fulcrum has tipped. So all of those things started kind of lining up in my life as well. So, uh, you know, the sustainability and climate crisis, 
um, in addition to the ethics of food and the ethics of animal treatment, all of those things kind of uh, manifest themselves uh, over the course of a decade. So I'd already gone vegan. And then those things just sort of started piling up on me. And mm. before long, I realized I'd have, I was going to have to, in order to live a life of integrity, uh, begin to explore how I can participate in this, uh, aside from just my own personal choices as to how I was going to eat. And so um, that, ma- that, that showed up even in, in the way I ministered as a, as a pastor. I, mm-hmm. I did all sorts of uh, food-related things and uh, things that, you know, connected to what was this growing sense of my commitment to the plant-based movement. Uh, so yeah, that, that's it sort of in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot more to it too. My spirituality played a big role in my understanding of caring for the land and caring for the earth and movements of reconciliation with First Nations peoples and how they understood the land and sort of moving away from extractive ideas uh, you know, moving away from the, the sort of uh, economic model that saw us trying to maximize profits from every square inch of land um, and every animal and every process uh, in order to kind of move the economic system forward. And I began to kind of back up and say, you know, there is another way. Mm-hmm. a both and way, if you will, mm-hmm. to how we might both feed ourselves and grow the economy and live a sustainable, ethical, you know, integrated life. I kind of saw the, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid, man. Yeah, yeah. It was all starting to make sense to me. Yeah. It's amazing when you have those realizations in life, when all of the stars line up, you know, whether it's, you know, that whole sort of mind, body, soul alignment it's um i can imagine it would have been a really fulfilling moment for you you know when you do have a really clear understanding of you know where you are and what direction you you know moving into that would have been yeah amazing yeah yeah you got it yeah um so back in the day when you first got onto the vegetarian and then moved into the vegan sort of diet did you get a bit of pushback yeah i mean you always do you know hmm. my cousin my cousin's called me a rabbit for years yeah, yeah they're like <laughs> you know? what are you doing eating this rabbit food? yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um you know so it was a, a bit of a, a catch 22 not a catch 22 it was a bit of a i so f- from the everyday perspective mm. yes so just kind of like living your life it was hard to eat at restaurants and yeah. you know it it wasn't it wasn't anything like it was today like in terms of walking into a grocery store and just yeah having easy, accessible options, you know, yes, grains and beans and, and produce and all of those things were sort of our staples and they're still my staples, but yeah. like, it was hard to find anything outside of tofu. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like tofu was it because it was a big part of Asian cuisine Yes, and growing up in Vancouver, there were a lot of Asian markets so you can get good tofu, but outside of that, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot, but being that I was a part of the Seventh-day Adventist tribe at the time, where veganism and vegetarianism was practiced and had been practiced since the middle 1800s. Wow. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so outside the box in terms of a lot of the people that I was sort of, um, you know, that were part of my circle, the yeah. people that I was engaged with. So it wasn't yeah. totally out of left field. Yeah. So tell me, how did you eventually arrive at the place? And I think I sort of, you know, you mentioned it before, it was sort of the alignment of everything and you wanting to actually like put a stake in the ground and say, this is sort of the direction that I'm taking my life. And I think that I can really, um, you know, encourage people to sort of move in this space as well. 
what sparked the idea of, I think you started with Veg Expo and then you moved it into Planted Expo. So tell us a little bit about sort of the early days of getting the operation up and running and, and what that looked like. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for Veg Expo. I was just a volunteer for many years right. with the okay. business okay. and um, spoke on stage. And I took a couple of little nonprofit things that I was doing uh-huh. and uh, was an exhibitor and a vendor there. Right. I used to run an organization called the Think Green Supper Club, which from 2013 to 2019 ran basically monthly by donation cooking classes where awesome. people could come, learn how to cook a meal that was vegan, yep. and then we'd all eat. And if they liked it, they could donate. If they didn't, they could just go home. And we, <laughs> we hosted these kind of yep. huge vegan barbecues and, and all the rest of it. And in the midst of all of that, I got to know the previous owners of Veg Expo. And so participated, helped. They would come to me and ask some questions. And actually, Veg Expo got started uh, first as a, as a kind of just healthy, more kind of veg forward it wasn't even entirely vegetarian it wasn't entirely vegan even to begin Mm. with and then but that was in 2014 and you know if we were historians we could probably begin to point to the fact that it quickly pivoted you know by the time 2016 rolled around it was an entirely vegan event so within from 2014 to 2016 it became very evident that the plant-based sort of vegan lifestyle was on the trajectory that we are kind of riding right now today and um, over the course of a couple of years, 2018 and 2019, I was approached a couple of times by the previous owners saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're thinking, you know, we're going to be doing other things. You should really take over. Like you love this thing. This is a good fit for you. You run events, mm-hmm. you do this sort of thing and you've really helped us. So, you know, why, why wouldn't you? And I kind of kept putting it off until, you know, again, the stars had to kind of align. And uh, so at the end of 2019 into 2020, in fact, we actually didn't pull and uh, and buy the business. We were in discussions for about three or four months and we actually bought it about seven weeks before the pandemic. Wow, okay. So, um, and that's why we pivoted and rebranded. We had all this time on our hand to kind of figure out what we actually wanted our business model to be. Yes. Um, because up to that point, you know, the Veg Expo was a one day big celebratory, um, you know, consumer facing trade show. Uh-huh. And we had a lot of time to think about how we wanted to grow this thing and what we wanted it to actually be like once we were able to put, um, our first event into the world, which is coming up here shortly. I know. I saw that. That's exciting. Um, and I can only imagine the amount of time and energy and, you know, the huge push that you would have all put in to put something like that together, especially throughout the period of uncertainty that we've all been facing at the moment. Yeah. So the original owners had a, had a, a child that had some health concerns right. and that's what got them going down um, sort of the discovery route themselves of, of what does it mean to live a more healthy, natural lifestyle. Yeah. And they, and they were struggling to kind of find, and, and yet they saw there was, oh, there's a business over here and a business over here. And they said, but nobody knows who you guys are and you're not talking and you're not connecting as much as maybe you could be. And so that was the impetus to start the Veg Expo. So in many respects, it, it has the same DNA today, which is to take the best that is being offered in the small and medium business world uh, that is local, predominantly local. Yeah. And pull them all together and provide what is a really exciting and important um, 
part of the food industry now yeah. and let them be together and show the world just what they're doing and just yeah. how amazing the products are. And so it's still that it's still a celebratory weekend yeah. that's bringing to bringing together the best voices um, and businesses and educational opportunities so that mm -hmm. people can engage wherever they are on their journey with plant forward living, mm -hmm. whether it's just a meatless Monday and otherwise they just kind of omnivorous people or people that are on the very precipice of, of dedicating their, their dietary and lifestyle choices to the plant-based movement. Sort of everybody uh, has an access point and an on-ramp to yeah. learn. So that's kind of what we're about. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I mean, I spent plenty of time on your website as well. And you guys are all about educating, you know, whether it's through your online courses and your chats and your blogs. Um, and then obviously you've got the expo as well. So, you know, obviously educating people and, you know, getting the word out there and giving everybody the information that they need to see success in this space is obviously a foundation to sort of who you are. Um, how big's your team that you've got on board? We've got five. Five. Yeah. Okay. So my, my business owner and I. Yeah. And, uh, and then three people kind of helping, um, yeah. we have a salesperson kind yeah. of a communication, social media person, and then an operations person. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so yeah. the online courses sort of fascinate me as well, because it's such a, a great way to sort of get information out there and people can digest it at their own pace. Um, at what point did you sort of realize that, that needed to be a part of the program? Yeah. So this is great. Uh, that's a really good question, Hayden. Um, we knew that, uh, making the expo live beyond just the weekend yeah. was going to be really important. And then there was a couple of different ways that we were going to do that. Um, and most of it was just making sure that we captured what was happening at the event on the stage and with the various businesses and stories that were being told to make sure that those could live in more of an evergreen fashion mm. um, and uh, provide the motivation, inspiration, um, and continue to do its work outside of just what happens on the stage. But when the pandemic struck, we realized as we thought about, well, what was this kind of learning community going to be? Because most of the people that come to the expo identify as plant curious. Right. That is to say they are not, you know, um, totally kind of checked in to, you know, maybe what the health benefits are or certainly all the recipes and cooking techniques and new ingredients and um, various uh, obstacles that they may run into as they yeah. transition. Um, and, and we thought, well, how, how might we address that and how could we make that a part of what we do? And so we said, well, you know, we've got time on our hands. It's going to be a long time before big mass you know, food sampling events are back. We kind of saw the writing on the wall pretty early. Yeah. And we said, you know, a part of what we wanted to do moving forward was create this sort of a library of resources. And why don't we just try our hand at a few of them and see how it goes. And so we reached out to a few of the people we knew locally, as well as myself, having lived the lifestyle for, you know, nearly 20 years and yeah. gone through my own journey of weight loss and all the rest of it. We thought, oh, we could throw together some courses and see how we like that. It's just sort of like a minimum viable product, get it out into the world, see what yeah. the feedback was. Yeah. And we realized that, you know, we are tapping some of the best voices and they're coming and they're on our stage and some of the best business owners. And we said, there's so much wisdom, so much that needs to be shared. And what if we could capture that and provide that and make that accessible to people? So yeah, um, that's it you know, that's what we're doing. And this coming year, you know, we've invested heavily in making sure that the content is captured well mm. at the event. And we're going to have a little studio where we get to capture a bunch of micro content 
awesome. just short short stories, people yeah. sharing insights, um, snippets, things that they are just passionate to share with the world. And that will then live on our website um, and be accessible by those that come, buy tickets, want to re-engage and say, oh yeah, I saw so-and-so or I checked out that business and I wonder what's happening with them. So recipes and how-tos and all of that's going to be a part of it. I really like to embrace both the analog and the digital. Yeah. And, you know, we've all experienced the the mass adoption of the digital way of engaging. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I really am. I think uh, the last 18 months is going to change the way we do business uh, and the way we stay connected and the Mm -hmm. power of Zoom and all of these various platforms that we now use to stay connected digitally is important, but it will be an absolute travesty if it is at the expense of the analog experience. We are humans, mm-hmm. we are social, we are meant to be together, we are meant to be in crowds and in small groups, we're meant to spend time one-on-one, we're meant to spend time in all of those various social settings with mm-hmm. other humans. Mm. And particularly for us as a, as a company that you know, 75 to 80% of our exhibitors are food-based businesses. Then we've got, you know, lifestyle brands and nonprofits and other kind of educational organizations that are a part of what we do. But being that 75 to 80% of the the businesses that are at our expos are food-based, you know, food eaten in isolation is a a scourge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we have to do it. And there are times when you're going to eat by yourself, but nobody wants to eat alone. No. And so, you know, in that, in that vein, um, you know, I really hope that we figure out a way moving forward to have a healthy relationship with our digital lives, with social media, with these uh, various means that we use now to stay connected and that we'll find uh, that balance that we all need because nobody wants to be a Luddite, I don't think entirely, but, but we do, we, we desperately need that connection. And that was one of the biggest reasons uh, to give you another sort of insight during the pandemic. And when we bought the business, everybody said, well, why don't you just do your event virtually? And we said, you know what, if we were primarily about education, um, you know, that would be possible. But there were so many organizations that are committed to plant-based education alone that we're going to do a great job doing the virtual thing. And we thought, you know, that's not who we are. We're, we're the planted expo, right? We're the veg expo. We're the, the analog, like we're the, the weekend where you can go and you can try six or seven of your favorite burgers Mm -hmm. with your friends and your kids. And you can put it in your kid's mouth and you can say, do you like that? Yeah. And then you can turn to the vendor and say, I'll take six packs of that, (laughs) you know, because you know, you're doing it in community and, and you get to debrief and you get to go with your friends and say, oh, I loved that cheese. No, I think that one was my favorite. And you do it together. You get some entertainment. You go chill. You get some food at a food truck. You spend the day there. You check out this speaker. You come back. You come back the next day. It's like a big immersive experience. And, yeah. and that was really important to us to maintain that. So that's why we never did a full-on virtual event, even mm-hmm. though it could have been a, a, a way forward. And, you know, uh, we just said, no, the, we got to stay true to our values. And our values are like these businesses, you know, they desperately want to demo their products. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Like, you know, we have 15 to 20,000 people that come through in a day. Uh, you know, how many social media giveaways you have to do, <laughs> you know, and you don't get the instant feedback. So you give it and you don't even know what happens to that giveaway. You don't know if those people are ever going to eat it. If when it arrives, how are they going to get back to you and tell yep. you? Anything? In this case, you know, hundreds of people 
shuffle past your uh, exhibit space in a day, trying your food, buying your food, and you get to see their face yeah. when they do it. Yeah. Nothing provides more gratification as well as uh, like good insight into your consumers, their mm -hmm. behaviors, what they like, what they don't like, and why they like it. Um, you know, so that was really important to us to stay, stay really true to what the small business actually needed. You're absolutely right, mate. Like you, you nailed it, like getting in front of your consumers and knowing them intimately and watching their facial expressions as they're tasting your food and getting that instant, you know, validation is awesome. The other thing that I really like about being at a, a trade show is you get a really good opportunity to sharpen your sword. And what I mean by that is you get to talk about your business over and over and over again. And you really get to know your own business and the value propositions that you have and your own spiel intimately. And that there's so much value in that, you know, like unless you're out there having a lot of conversations, but in the week, in the short time frame of a weekend, you're having hundreds and hundreds of conversations and they are exactly the same. You get to get your spiel on lockdown. You know, that's, that's what I loved about trade shows. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about being in sort of the trade, um, like, I guess you're calling it a trade show or are you calling it an event? What do you call it? Yeah, it's an expo. An expo. Okay, cool. So being in the expo world now, like obviously you've got to sell tickets and, yeah. you know, you're selling a, a, a huge volume of tickets out there. And I would imagine that, you know, you know, your customers intimately, you know, but tell us, how do you get out in front of everybody? How are you letting everybody know about the expo and, you know, Tell us about the sales process in that respect. So selling to selling tickets to an audience, mm. um, you know, we use every possible platform that we can, uh, that we think the plant curious person is going to be, you know, checked into. So we're, we're using a lot of the same streams that, you know, others are yeah. and perhaps a little bit more on the analog front as well. Uh, so you know, we're using influencers, we're using yeah. social media, we're using Facebook ads and yeah. IG ads. Um, we are using email marketing yeah. and we're, we're, you know, partnering with all of our vendors because yeah. we really believe in sort of raising the tide. When one boat comes up, when the tide comes in, you know, all the boats go up together. Yeah. And so, you know, making sure that our vendors, uh, you know, reach out to their consumers and their audiences and say, hey, guess what? I'm going to be at the event and this is going to be a great event. And some of our favorite sister businesses are going to be there and it's going to be a celebration and you're going to get a chance to meet a lot of people. So we use that. Um, we're also, you know, uh, using billboards and bus ads and transit ads. Uh, that'll all be sort of in the 30 days right prior to the event. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then various kind of digital media outlets like daily hive and those sorts of places, yeah. uh, just kind of connecting. And then a lot of it is word of mouth. Mm. You know, we, we get a lot of in, in, uh, people sort of asking and, and inquiring about the events that they, you know, they've just heard about it or somebody shared it. And, uh, you know, some of our, uh, best word of mouth sort of situations is one person in the family is plant-based, mm. you know, you'll 100%. often have it, you know, it, you know, one person, oh, in one family person in a family ends up going, right. ends up going plant-based, right? So it's either a teenage yeah. kid or, you know, somebody has a health scare, they have a heart attack and they yeah. go, they go plant-based or, you know, something happens and it changes their life. And then they want to bring everybody with them. So mm. they'll buy 10 tickets yeah. and they'll just give them to their, to their friends and family and say, come with me to this event. You're going to be yeah. so blown away by the quality of food that you try and, um, you know, by the experience. And so, 
we have a lot of that, you know, groups that come, you know, there was a group from the island the other day that bought 40 tickets. <laughs> they were just like, hey, we're coming, we're catching a ferry, which day should we come, Saturday or Sunday? I'm like, whatever, they're going to be you great, think. you know? Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So it's just like any other good marketing campaign out there. You know, you're using multiple different um, channels. You're getting the word out there as well. I was, yeah, I was definitely interested in hearing your take on that because, you know, for a lot of small businesses out there, getting the word out about their product and their business is a huge effort, you know, and especially, you know, when you're a solo entrepreneur, you know, you're wearing multiple hats out there, but you're fortunate in that you've got an established business and you've got a team around you. Um, But, you know, finding who it is exactly that you're targeting and, you know, getting your message across into them is extremely important. And I just yeah. love the, yeah, the input that you gave them. So thank you very much for that one. Um, mate, Stephen, you're the owner and CRO, Chief Op- uh, Relational yeah. Officer at Plansy. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about sort of the leadership, you know, that you embody, because obviously you're heavily involved in the church. It's a leadership position. Um, you're a father, that's a leadership position. And obviously, you know, it planted, you're a leader as well. So I'd love to sort of get your take on leadership. Like what does leadership mean to you? Yeah, leadership is influence Yeah, and it's not positional. You can lead from any chair mm. at any point in time, you know, and you know, influence is interesting, you know, it can come from expertise. um, But oftentimes, influence can come primarily through trust and relationships. So this is the kind of CRO idea. Um, So you you probably noticed that I I had my undergrad degree in theology, but I don't actually have the traditional graduate degree in theology. So most ministers, most ordained ministers have what's called a master's of divinity degree. And uh, it's a great degree. And it trains people for professional ministry positions. But what I was uncovering as I was working in church settings and in life was that people were not uh, burning out from their careers or their vocations, primarily due to a lack of technical skills. Um, And so I could use some insider talk, like my buddies and friends that were leaving uh, their gigs in churches were not leaving because they couldn't preach a sermon or, you know, struggled to give a Bible study or something like that. No, they were burning out for people reasons, for change and for transformation and for taking an organization from A to B and doing that with a team and getting the most out of themselves and actually leading themselves and and getting themselves in a place where they are prepared to to do the work that is required uh, of a leader to um, be in a position where they can support and come alongside and come underneath and really make the environment a place where those around them will succeed. Mm. So leadership is influence and it's the capacity to take a group of people towards a common goal. That's a perfect little excerpt on what I believe leadership to be as well. Like influencing from any position in life, you know, leading yourself is a huge factor as well. Like I think a lot of people wait for other people to make decisions for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you you can't take others where you haven't been yourself. Yeah, for sure. Do you ever doubt yourself? Like, do you ever find yourself in a position where you're sort of doubting the decisions that you're making or the, the direction that you're walking in and sort of, how do you overcome that? Yes. All the time. Yeah. Um, There is debilitating doubt. And there is doubt that can make you sharper and more humble and more open to learning and to collaborate 
and to, um, you know, not rely entirely on yourself. And mm -hmm. so as long as you can find a way to work through and recognize that failure or recognize that setbacks um, are not uh, the worst thing and that they are frequently our best teachers, mm. you know, then, then those little doubts are, are, are basically just like warning signals. It's like our nervous system, you know, kind of keeping us alerted to the fact that, you know, this is not a shoe in so to speak, you know, this is not a, a perfect environment and there are things that could go wrong, <laughs> like whatever sort of risky thing you're doing. And in business, yeah. you know, you're often taking calculated risks. Yeah. And so doubt is that uh, in, inner voice that tells us, hey, you know, have you really thought through this? And, um, and as long as you can channel that in a way that allows you to sort of um, say, oh, maybe I need to just take a couple of extra moments or a couple of extra conversations or touch base with a couple of other thought leaders or confidants or somebody that I can lean on mm. to kind of run some of this by me and then ultimately execute, uh, then, then doubt is actually a really good friend. Mm. Um, but if you find yourself in that place where you are in sort of a debilitating analysis paralysis kind of moments where you don't trust yourself, then, you know, I recommend getting like a leadership coach or an executive coach or somebody that can um, walk that journey with you and just kind of ask the sort of questions that will unearth what is there, um, you know, your own capacity to make it through those mm -hmm. challenging moments. Mm -hmm. I have, I've benefited a ton from leadership coaching and executive coaching in my life. And I seek it out regularly mm -hmm. and have had a few different um, sort of life slash business coaches over the years uh, and find that very valuable at those moments when you're particularly stuck or you have a particularly large decision that you're working through and you could use that extra support. Mate, that's so cool. I, um, I've had a coach in the past as well um, and it's been nothing but a benefit to my life. And it wasn't because I had a debilitating decision that, you know, I found myself in a position where I was doubting myself or, you know, I, I didn't know what direction to take it. You just some, at times, like you just want to speak to somebody in your life that has an impartial opinion on, you know, things that are going on and um, can sort of help you make some decisions, whether it's about your career or, or, you know, personal decisions that you've got to make. I thought it was nothing but valuable. And that was actually my next question. Who do you lean on in life? So it's really great to hear that you have got coaches. Um, how big is your network? Do you go to various people for different things or do you sort of have one person that you go to for everything? Um, it's grown. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, I have, I have, a, it really depends really what we're talking about. So yeah. I guess, the obvious answer is I have more than one. It's not yeah. one person that I go to for everything. Um, but yeah, so uh, just a couple of other notes sort of on leadership and, and kind of navigating that. Yeah. Like you yeah. kind of have to you have to determine what it is you, you're needing, you know? Is mm -hmm. it just emotional support so that yeah. you can actually make the decision? Or do you need like tactical advice? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, is, is, it a, is it a technical problem that has a technical solution and you just simply don't have the skills or the knowledge or the know-how to do it kind yeah. of well? Yeah. Or are you facing kind of an adaptive, it could be this, it could be that, I'm not totally sure. Like, you know, being able to identify what that is and then you're, you're ultimately going to go to different people depending mm -hmm. on how you diagnose what it is, you know, you're looking for insight on. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think those are very different kinds of people, by the way. Mm. And, uh, you know, you can frequently get away with just a consultant on a specific technical issue mm. and they'll know that specific uh, 
thing you're wondering about inside and out they're, you know, they're an expert in that. And you're mm-hmm. not, you can't be an expert on everything that your business rubs up against. That's right. And that's why consultants and kind of getting outside and not feeling like you can solve every problem or, or understand every in and out. But if you have an adaptive challenge, like what all of us face with the pandemic, where you're not entirely sure how things are going to continue and, you know, how many waves are we going to have and when will this be done? And what are the, possibilities and should I call it quits or should I keep plugging away and what should my pivot look like and how much should I invest in it like these are technical but also adaptive questions you know and much of it has to do with your own appetite for change and transformation and and change and transformation are hard hard at the best of times let alone in the disorienting times yeah yeah I agree I mean I'd love to pull this conversation back into planter because I think it's kind of relevant as well but you know when you just bought the business three months before the pandemic hit and then the pandemic hit how did you sort of move through that space it would have been a huge shock to the system because you're like all right the world as we know it is going to look very very different in the future we've got to make this work we've just invested heavily in this this is what we're doing but I don't know what it looks like. So did you sort of just plan out in short sort of increments, like, you know, three months out, six months out, nine months out? How did you sort of evaluate, you know, what you were doing and approach approach it from there? Well, well first we like had um, like this. Uh, <laughs> it, it was hard. It was yeah. hard. Uh, you know, the first I would say six to eight weeks was just sort of like a whirlwind of trying to understand what was happening in the world. Yeah, like it was crazy. How, it? <laughs> how, how severe is this? Like, yeah. you know, and then once it sort of set in for my business partner and I, uh, we're very different people, by the way, and we are very complimentary to one another, but uh, you know, um, he's, he was, he was and is a mechanical engineer. That's what he went to school for and kind of stepped away from all of that to help me with this. Um, and we went in on it together and I'm sort of, again, that relationship person, big idea, like kind of vision strategy, kind of moving the whole thing forward. What is the voice of the business? And he's sort of that operational, you know, nuts and bolts. We're going to like be data driven. We're going to make sure that we're, you know, following the right trends and and understanding and measuring things and what are the metrics telling us. And so we kind of went at it from two different, like, I was like, okay, you know, how's the world going to deal with this? And he was like, yeah, but what is the coronavirus and what is science telling us? And so we would have these conversations back and forth. um, And it was, it was a great learning experience. And we got to know one another, even though we've been friends for years, uh, we got to know one another a lot better. Um, So at the beginning, it was just sort of pushing it only as far as we felt comfortable um, pushing it. And also then saying, well, what, what else can we do? Like, what else is in our wheelhouse? What else are we wanting to explore? And when we realized sort of uh, by like May or June of 2020 that we were in it for the long haul, like yeah. this wasn't going to be over anytime soon. Yeah. Then we started to plan like a year out. Yeah. And we said, okay, for sure the event's not happening in 2020. It's likely not even going to happen in the first half of 2021. It's likely going to happen in quarter three or quarter four of yeah. 2021 if it happens in 2021 at all yeah and so you know we said okay well that gives us some lead time you know it gives us an opportunity to build some relationship and what we started to do is just reach out to the small businesses that were a part of our network and say hey we're the new owners like the pandemic hit we don't know what's up but you know we want to learn what was your experience in previous years at the Mm. show you know and we made changes we took it from a one-day show to a two-day show we started to uh, make inroads towards a business-to-business day um you know, we explored what different kinds of 
sponsorships and you know uh, what are the other directions that the business could go and we explored a new city so it's never happened in Toronto, Toronto before yeah and we've got Toronto coming in March and so we said okay well this is it let's double down <laughs> like we believe in this and the two major markets in Canada deserve events like this so yep. let's make it happen in Toronto as well and we put that into um, into the works and kind of worked our way through the Toronto scene and, and getting to know what was happening up there and uh, so we just kind of took um, took what we could and worked with it. Um, yeah. And, and just sort of made the decisions that were out in front of us and tried not to, tried not to predict the future too mm. much. Mm -hmm. Just work with what you've yeah. got and the data that you've got. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Mate, you know, with such an uncertain future, you know, you could, you just look at this in life, like the future is uncertain for all of us, right? There's no such thing as certainty in the future. But the one thing that I think that you could give a good prediction on is what the next 10 to 15 to 20 years looks like in sort of the plant-based world. What are we looking at in the future? Like how are things going to change? And especially for small to medium-sized business owners as their businesses grow, what's the future look like for them as well? And, and where does innovation come from? Yeah. So, you know, if you're uh, familiar with sort of uh, adoption curves, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're past the innovators and early adopters and we're about to hurt, hit the early majority. Yeah. So I'm, I'm calling this the decade of adoption and you can just see it, um, you know, by uh, the level of media coverage, by the number of, you know, IPOs. Investment, uh, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, you can see by the number of dollars and cents that are going behind these companies mm. And you can see it by, by the fact that uh, people that are not um, traditionally interested parties or vested parties in this movement who are now seeing just the economic potential mm. alone mm -hmm. who are getting behind it. And I think that, that you know, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not everybody's going to be a, a vegan who gets into the plant-based movement. And, you know, that would be insufficient. We need just a lot more people, a lot more innovation, and a lot more product. I think you'll see some interesting conversations around cell-based meat. Mm. I think that's going to dominate the next 10 years because it's going to come down in cost. Um, and it's going to be an inflection point for uh, the plant-based slash vegan movement um, because there will come a time when you will be able to eat cruelty-free, real flesh, real yeah. meat. Yeah. And, uh, and that'll be an interesting dynamic. And, and I think that's an interesting conversation. Uh, that deserves a lot of attention, and um, but it appears to be an essential part of the sustainability question. Right. Okay. You know, yeah, I, I think that's that's a lot of what's going to happen. That's exciting. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, just even seeing like A and W bringing on the Beyond Burger, and you know, Timmy's bringing on a plant based burger and or meat patty as well. It's it's so cool to see it actually gaining some traction out there, and it, and it's an exciting future for not only you know everybody's diets, but also the the sustainability and the planet and the impact that it's going to have there as well because things have got to change. Right. I think one of the other conversations, just real quick yeah, here, no just to kind of uh, round out, um, you know, where the conversation is going to go in the next little while. Yeah. Uh, for a long time, the conversation in the plant-based world, I would say, say from like 2020 to 20, uh, 2010 to 2020, the last decade was, yes. hey, we just, we've got to have price parity yeah. and it's got to taste good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I think we're getting pretty close to there on at least the plant proteins, maybe yeah. not on the sort of cell-based meats that's still got a way to go to get mm. price parity. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's going to taste the same. But, um, you know, I think the dairy industry has taken, uh, or the, 
the plant-based dairy industry. Mm. We, we, we call it, we call it cheese and milk. Yeah. Um, you know, that has grown by leaps and bounds in the last little while in terms of the, the you know, it used to be just either soy milk. And then for a while it was just soy or almond. Yeah. And now you've got, you know, the whole gamut of like buckwheat milk and right. oat milk yeah. and, you know, all the way through. So I think you'll see a lot more proliferation and a plethora of options yeah. as we discover what the plant world has to offer in terms of what can be turned into you know, various food products. Um, yeah. Like we're seeing this uh, revolution of eggs, you know, based out of, based on mung beans. So if oh, you really? the company Just Egg. I have, they're using, it's in the freezer section. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. 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 They're using mung bean protein, right? And we're going to just discover more and more of these plants that uh, are viable alternatives to yeah. the ones that we've grown accustomed to, like wheat protein, which is gluten and, mm-hmm. um, and soy protein, which is in most of the alternative meats today. Yeah. And we'll get, we're going to see a lot of other uh, versions of plant proteins out there as well. That's exciting. Well, thank you very much for your insight there. Mate, yeah. if we were to fast forward a year from now, so you're about to embark on a, on a really exciting year. But if you were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, so whether it's in life or in business, what is it exactly that you will have accomplished? You know, I think that Canada um, and the average Canadian uh, will have become aware of the fact that there is an event in a major city close by to them where they can go and learn and be introduced to all of the small businesses and passionate business owners that are in their community that are making a difference uh, by putting forth their passion projects and these amazing, uh, this amazing food that can nourish their family and taste good and be good for the planet. Um, And that, you know, they know that, you know, maybe their first sort of immersive experience in that world was at a planted expo. Mm. You know, if, if, if 50 or 60,000 Canadians at the end of this year, you know, had gone through an event and had a really positive experience with a bunch of amazing people who are changing the world. And that's not me, but it's all the small business owners, you know, it's all the speakers, it's all the people. And we just get to kind of like open up this space and invite invite Canada and invite the small business community to participate, um, that would be a very successful year for us and a very meaningful year to help move the needle. Um, We really want to see the average plant curious Canadian incorporate more and more sustainable, healthy, compassionate products into their life. And, uh, and thankfully we'll be able to measure that. That's and we'll exciting, be able to mate. know whether we're succeeding or not. That's good. Yeah. Well, mate, what a huge um, goal and aspiration. And I'm excited to hear how it all goes for you. Do you want to uh, let everybody know that's listening uh, what the dates of the expos are in Vancouver and Toronto? Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully everybody will be able to come out and uh, join us on November 20th and 21st in Vancouver um, this year, 2021. Uh, we've got some great speakers that are coming from the U.S., as well as a bunch of really great local individuals and business owners that will be telling their stories, speaking to the health benefits, speaking to the sustainability parts of it, and, uh, and some great new products. All of these companies kind of um, will save their product launches for our events and be able to kind of connect with the audience. So you'll have an opportunity to, to really have a fun weekend and try a lot of amazing food and hopefully purchase a lot of really great food. Um, this year we'll have a bit of a holiday theme in Vancouver. Yeah. So uh, you can get tickets at plantedlife.com forward slash Vancouver. And uh, because we're on the pack heavy uh, 
podcast today, if you use the promo code PACKHEAVY at checkout, you'll get 15% off your tickets. And then if you're listening to this a little later on and you're from the greater Toronto area, we'll be in Toronto at the Intercare Center on March 26 and 27, 2022. And that's shaping up to be a fantastic show. Uh, and we're super excited to be in Toronto and a part of that community. Awesome, mate. Well, look, thank you very much for offering everybody out there that discount. I really appreciate that. That's extremely generous of you. And thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Hayden, for having me on. Best of luck. Yeah, you too, mate. We'll keep in touch. Cheers. Cheers. I'd like to say a special thank you to our show sponsors, Foodpack, Brad Bondachuk and Futurepreneur Canada for making this all happen. If you've got any questions from today's show, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Hayden Thompson, that's T-H-O-M-S-O-N, or you could DM me on Instagram. And one thing that would mean the absolute world to me would be a rating and a review. I'll see you next week.